0: What is going on guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is a post-Halloween. Yes, this is the day after Halloween. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I feel like shit. It's unbelievable. I don't know if I'm getting old or... I'm not getting old, let's be honest. (laughs) Okay, I'm getting older. I can feel myself aging, but I don't know if that's it. I think it's the fact that I haven't eaten shitty food in so long, but I literally had three pieces of fun-sized candy. I think I had like a little bag of Skittles. I had some Reese's and I had milk duds, which I wasn't a fan of. And I just feel lethargic today. It's weird. Not even like I feel bloated or anything like that, but my mental, I just have such a mental fog. I woke up this morning to do my morning routine. And part of that is usually, let me write, let me journal, let me read. And I was just slow. Like I just felt slow as shit. Which makes me appreciate how important nutrition is, man. Like what you put in your body is going to dictate your thoughts, your actions, your procrastination, your lack thereof, your productivity, your mental clarity, your, your memory, so many different things. And we take it for granted because a lot of us just haven't dialed in our nutrition. And I remember like not even realizing what my body and my brain were actually capable of because I've never lived in a higher level or a state of higher being, I guess you could even call it just because I was eating like shit. I was eating all like shit all the time. And even if my diet was 80% good, there was still shitty food every day, like processed sugars, tons of gluten, dairy, things like that, which aren't quote unquote bad. Don't get me wrong. But if you eat- consume too much of it, I do believe they create some kind of brain fog um, for some people. Um, Dairy is iffy. Some people, it's like it's definite or it's not that bad. For me, actually, dairy is not too bad. Gluten definitely creates some brain fog for me and most people. Um, And then obviously, processed sugar is a killer. But... Man, like just taking it out for so long and then having one day to like splurge a little bit and have some candy. Like, I woke up this morning and I was like, why do I feel just off? And then I thought about it and I was like, it's that motherfucking candy. So um, I am feeling the Halloween, the post Halloween blues, I guess you could call it, but I don't even know why I went into that. What I wanted to tell you guys is that we are going to do a podcast review. So this is a competition, this is a contest. As always, I'm going to give something away for free. So, What you guys can do, we're going to pick three people. So I think it takes a week, so we're probably going to do this, not next Friday, but the Tuesday after on the interview, be on the lookout because um, I want to give people about – three to five days to leave their review and then I want to give iTunes at least three to five days to actually upload the things because it takes forever for them to actually pop up. So what you can do is go leave me a five-star rating and review. We're going to look at the dates of when these are posted um, and leave us a review. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us something funny. Tell us something great. Make me smile. Make me laugh. Make me pissed. Whatever is on your mind. Put it in there. Leave me a five-star rating review. If you do both of those things, you are in the running for the competition. And we are going to pick the top three reviews that I like best. Um, Actually, my team likes best. I'll let all of us review it, and we'll take a vote to make this even playing field so I'm not being biased. And we're going to take the top three, and I'm going to give something away for free. So what you're going to get is one of my products for free. Now, that could be one of the eBooks. It could be a free coaching call. It could be a free – trial in the membership of the elite membership who knows what it'll be we're going to draw out of the hat we're going to let you pick we're going to give you something though so if you can go leave a five-star rating and review right now we will check those within the next week and then we will announce the winners on the not next week but the week after which will be not November. I'm going to look up the date so you guys know exactly when I'm going to say this, and it keeps me accountable because accountability is so key. Um, I will announce the winner on November 13th. November 6th is next week. Next week we have Dr. Becky Campbell coming on the show. You guys are really going to enjoy that podcast, all about the thyroid. Unbelievable show. Um, And then on the 13th, we'll have our next guest interview on the show. And on that intro, I will announce the winners of this contest, this podcast review. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the show. We got a ton of great questions today, so I better get moving because you guys know I love to rant. On to the show. All right, guys. You know what? Before I even answer some of the questions, so like, like I said, I got some really good questions today. Before I even get into those questions, I want to talk about my biggest holiday tip. Now, when I say holiday tip, we all know that there's a lot of shit going on during the holidays. You know, it was just Halloween. Uh, when you're listening to this two days ago, for me it was literally yesterday, um, and I'm feeling the effects of a little bit of that candy. Um, next we got Thanksgiving, and then right after that we got Christmas. Now this means two things. It means number one, for people looking to achieve a better body, most of the time you guys are going to create more excuses than you've ever created in your in your life. This is the year. This is the season of the year. This is the part of the year, the quarter of the year, where the most excuses. It's been statistically shown that more excuses are used to get out of physical performance and exercise during this holiday season than any other part of the year. That was a complete bullshit study. I'm joking. That is not true. I mean it probably is, but there's no study that proves more people use excuses right now. But I would go out to say and venture to say that I believe that more people make excuses during Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas more than ever. More than ever. It's usually the week of Halloween. Like Halloween isn't bad all October but I do see a lot of people the last week of like they just give in and then a couple days after they're like fuck there's so much leftover candy I might as well snack on it fuck that don't do it you don't need it. It's not benefiting you. And then in November, it's just like this graze period between the two holidays where you just kind of say, fuck it. And you just kind of go along and you forget about your goals. You make excuses. You don't push hard. You're not investing in yourself to get better. And then Christmas comes and you immediately go, you know what? January's almost here. As soon as January hits, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to help myself. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to invest in myself. But for now, I'm just going to chill. You know, it's holidays, there's good food, there's good people, sit by the fire, children, hot cocoa. And the truth is, is that's going to make New Year's even worse. The reality is, and this is not even just for fat loss, this is not just for changing your physique or improving your performance because you're committing to the gym. This is for anybody in business as well. This is for anybody in life. Because when you take the bench and you sit on the bench and you sit back and you watch things happen – that are non-productive for your body, you're watching things happen non-productively for your brain and for your business, or for your productivity, for your relationships, for everything. How you act in one way is how you act with everything. right? Just like that old saying, like how you, what you do when no one's watching defines who you are as a person. It's the same exact thing. It carries over into every part of your life. How you act with your body, if you were lazy with your body, you're going to be lazy in every other area of your life. If you work hard, if you're committed, if you're determined, if you're self-disciplined with your body, you are going to be all of those things in every other area of your life, which is why I think I always say your body is the fastest path to power because if you change your body, you change everything else in your life. And if we're in this period of time in the year where we just automatically want to create excuses and not do the work, we are going to slowly let that trickle into every other area of our life, plain and simple. And what we need to think about Is committing now and not waiting any longer because the longer you wait, which by that I mean as you wait for New Year's to happen because let's be real, like that's what people do, it becomes December and we kind of just say, you know what, I'm going to take it easy until January's here and I'm going to go all in. I'm going to buy a gym membership, hire a coach, buy this new program, whatever it may be, and that's great. If January comes and you decide to invest in yourself, more power to you, and I encourage that because I want everybody to do that. But why are you waiting? I'm 99% sure there's not a financial difference between you right now and in January that is going to set you apart from investing in yourself because it costs money, let's be honest whether you want to start meal prepping, you got to go grocery shopping for better food, whether you want to buy some kind of nutrition plan, whether you want to buy a nutrition coach for the time being, whether you want to buy a trainer, whether you want to join my membership site, whether you want to buy an ebook that's going to give you a training program like one of mine or like some of the other coaches that I work with in the industry. No matter what, it's probably going to be a financial thing. You can't use that as an excuse, though. There's something you can commit to. I was talking about this with somebody. They're probably going to know I was talking about them. We were talking about this, and I was like, man, if you sacrifice... Nine Starbucks per month, you have more than enough money to invest in something that will allow you to change your body dramatically and teach you the process of doing so, allow you to become more educated in the system. Nine Starbucks, nine coffees. Is changing your body, therefore changing your life worth nine fucking coffees? I think so. And if you don't drink coffee, that's six kombuchas. Right? Like there's there's a plenty of things that you buy in your day to day life that you don't really need that you can afford to spend on something. But again, my point is is the longer you wait in this time period, right? If we're waiting from November till January, that's two months. That's 60 to 61 days, if you're including today or not. Sixty one days that you're gonna reverse habits, bring yourself further away from making changes. Make those positive habits even harder to ingrain. Make those lifestyle changes that you'll have to make in January way more stressful, way harder, and you're taking the simplification out of everything. You're literally making it harder on yourself. So even if you spent all of November and all of December purposefully maintaining Which means still going to the gym, still watching your nutrition but being more flexible, still having accountability, still moving forward, still learning and trying to educate yourself. Even if you just do that and you're not even focused on losing weight or building muscle or changing dramatically, you just want to maintain, that's going to set you up for a way better January. Metabolically, hormonally, stress-wise, ease of implementation, ease of change. You're not going to have such a drastic change. Your body is gonna be literally more prepared as well. So, when you do make those changes, whatever changes you make, your body's gonna respond quicker. If you're lazy for the next 60 days, your body is gonna be stubborn as hell because for the last 60 days, you've been just destroying it, being lazy and not doing the work. And again, if you're a business owner, if you're somebody who wants to be productive, you want to create content, you want to do anything, these things that you do to your body dramatically influence the way that your business runs, the way that you create content, the energy you bring into your family, your relationships, your friends, your day-to-day life, your mindset when you wake up and you go through the motions, or pushing through better motions instead of just going through the motions, all these things are dramatically increased and improved when you take care of your body. So my holiday tip is just stop fucking waiting. Why wait? What's the point of waiting? Waiting does you no good. Waiting creates further procrastination, further difficulty, and further stress. It makes everything harder. There's no reason to wait on anything. doesn't mean you can't enjoy the holidays. I'm going to go all in on the holiday. Christmas Eve is the crab feast. My grandma makes homemade shortbread cookies, pumpkin pie, and we eat crab and drink wine. And I'm not going to track a damn macro because that's the day. But guess what? That crab feast is Christmas Eve. It is not G- December 1st through 24th. And Thanksgiving is not November 1st through 20-whatever. I don't even know what day Thanksgiving is on this <laughs> I think it's the 25th, right? The point is holidays are one day each month. It's the 22nd. I was wrong. The holidays are one day. What are you going to do with the rest of the month? Don't waste your time. Don't make the holiday more difficult on you. Don't make New Year's even more difficult on you. Just commit. i made a post on Instagram that was really popular actually. Um, It's funny that the simple ones are always the, the really popular ones. But I think it hit home with a lot of people. There's no macro ratio or dietary adjustment that can fix a lack of consistency. Think about that. There is nothing that will replace consistency. And if you don't get consistent right now, if you don't commit to consistency while you have the time, before these holidays come, before the New Year's come, those adjustments that you make on New Year's are going to be irrelevant. Or the adjustments you make on New Year's are going to make a change, don't get me wrong, (laughs) but the change is going to bring you back to the norm. Don't set yourself back right now so when you get to the new year, any adjustment just brings you back to your normal maintenance. It's not the goal. Be at maintenance so when you make adjustments new years, you go go further. Maintenance is something funny too. I think a lot of people forget how important maintenance phases are. They think like they have to be progressing all the time, right? Like I have to be building muscle. I have to be losing fat. I have to be dieting. I have to be creating a cut. It's not the case. There should be periods of time where you're maintaining. Right now, my my whole goal is maintaining. All last month, all this month, all next month, I'm just trying to maintain. Do I want to see numbers in the gym go up? Absolutely. Do I care about my body measurements? No. Do I want to gain weight or lose weight? No. Trying to maintain. That's healthy. It's periodization of your nutrition. It's important. All right, I could probably rant on this forever, so I should probably start answering the questions now. But my big point there, guys, is simple. Look across the board in your life. This is like the assignment of that, and I always like to give an actionable takeaway, and I do this on my mentor calls as well. Like When when we're talking about these things, we're having revelations. We're reviewing. We're thinking about different concepts. When you're listening to me speak my mind on a topic where I see hundreds of people going through this, talk to hundreds of people on my emails, on my Instagram, on Facebook, on all these different places, and I give them advice on how to move forward, how to stay consistent, so on and so forth. The answer is get consistent, commit to consistency right now. Don't commit to a deficit. Don't commit to a muscle gain program. Don't commit to anything that is gonna, or any one result, I should say. Commit to consistency. So pick the one to 10 habits. I mean, everybody's different. Pick the one to 10 habits that are gonna help push you towards the goal you have, whether that be fat loss, maintenance, or building muscle, and then just get consistent with the easiest ones. Once you feel so comfortable being consistent that it's not even a question anymore, At that point, then you can add in more habits. Then you can push forward. Then you can keep going. Commit to six months, not 30 days. It's simple, guys. What to do to drastically change your body is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And the reason it's simple is because it just takes consistency. Commitment and consistency are the two biggest factors when it comes to seeing results in any area of your life. All right. Question number one. This is going to be a deep one. Better take a drink of coffee for this. My Rebellum from Instagram. Metabolic damage. What is it? What causes it? Examples. So we actually shot a video on this, and I think it's going to air next week on Wednesday, and I tried to summarize it quickly so I could put it on IGTV. It's funny. Every time we shoot a video <laughs> for YouTube, I'm like, all right, so I'm going to make this under 10 minutes so we can put it on IGTV. That way people on Instagram can see it as well. And he's like, all right, cool. Sounds good. And he kind of gives me like the you know, fingers up means one minute, one, two minute hits. He puts two fingers out three, three. And then after five, he just kind of signals me. And every, I, I think we've done eight weeks of videos and not one of them have been under 10 minutes because I just keep going. So I think we actually did it under 10 minutes in this one, but metabolic damage is simple. So metabolic damage is the process of your metabolism adapting to a lower caloric set point. If you, I mean, if you technically think about it, metabolic I don't like the word metabolic damage, so I'm thinking of metabolic adaptation. Metabolic damage, quote-unquote, isn't a real thing, um, I mean, depending on who you're talking to, I guess, but it's kind of been debunked because technically that's why um, you know, recovery diets and reverse diets have been created because you can take yourself out of metabolic damage. Metabolic damage like, would imply that you wrecked your hormones, you wrecked your metabolism, and it can never be fixed. But we know, even though it might take a long time, it might take a lot of work – Metabolisms can be recovered, they can be reversed, they can be improved and and get out of that hole that they've been dug into. So metabolic damage m- might not be the best term. Metabolic adaptation, however, can be a good term. And if you technically think about it, and nobody ever talks about this, so this is just kind of me speaking my mind. But to me, metabolic adaptation would – it's commonly referred to as a, the process of your metabolism adapting to a lower caloric set point or adapting to your caloric deficit over time. Like you've been in a deficit for too long and now you're metabolically adapted to a low calorie set point. But in my mind, if we look at the reverse, if I take somebody through a reverse diet and I build their calories up and now they're maintaining their weight on a higher caloric set point, which is the goal of reverse dieting, technically that would be a positive metabolic adaptation. So metabolic adaptation is really just your calories adapting to new set points and levels. So if we look at what most people – Go through with metabolic adaptation. It's basically the process of we are dieting and we've probably dieted too hard for too long. And over time, as our weight drops and as our calories lower, our metabolism kind of plays catch up and follows along. So we make a caloric drop, 500 calories. So we go from 2,500 to 2,000. Well, now we're in a 500 calorie deficit and our body is going to lose weight because we know calories in versus calories out is an important factor in this process. But after a small period of time, our metabolism is going to catch up to that lower caloric intake, and it's actually going to make its new norm 2,000 instead of 2,500. Now we're going to have to create another deficit. So maybe we drop 250 calories. So Now we're at 1,750. Cool. We made a 250-calorie deficit. Now we're going to lose some weight, but eventually, once again – Our metabolism is going to catch up and now its new norm is no longer 2000, it's 1750. And as we go through this process, let's say we get you down to 1250 calories because you're going to get on stage. Well, now you're metabolically adapted to that point. And and once upon a time, your metabolism was maintaining weight. It was adapted to a 2500 calorie intake. So what is it? It's an adaptation, adaptation of metabolism. Uh, new set points into metabolism, um, what causes it is consistently changing your caloric intake and maintaining your weight. So usually weight doesn't maintain at first, and same thing with the reverse, right? If I add 250 calories, usually you gain a pound or two, and then you leave it there, and your metabolism kind of adapts, starts burning again, and then you level off, and you come back down to that weight. So for the the typical setting where you're you're losing weight and you're dropping your caloric intake, um, let's say that person gets to their stage weight, they get on stage, they're 1,250 calories, uh, 1,250, which is pretty low, but it's common with like bikini competitors and stuff like that. Physique athletes, not so much, but let's say it's a small physique competitor uh, or a bikini competitor, 120 pounds or so. Um, they get down to that low, low caloric intake and they stay there for their stage. They got super lean. They, they drastically changed their physique in the process, but now they got to reverse diet and bring their calories up. But their metabolism has adapted to a lower set point than what it needs to be at in order to maintain healthy hormones, nervous system, muscle tissue, so on and so forth. So you need to reverse them up process of that is going to be the the complete opposite of what we just talked about reverse dieting them up they're probably going to gain a few pounds in the process because let's be honest stage weight is not healthy so it's common to see some weight gained after a show but the the goal there is to be very slow in uh conservative with the process so that we can try to maintain weight as closely as possible so if they got down to 120 pounds our goal now is like okay hey, we're going to try to maintain this 120 we're going to add you know 10 to 20 grams of carbs this week see what happens Maintained your weight cool next week we're gonna add 10 to 20 carbs oh you gained a pound let's wait another week after a week their weight leveled back down cool we're gonna add 10 to 20 calories or 10 to 20 grams of carbs then you start adding fat as well if you need to um i typically will go in the fashion of if their fats are at a unhealthy point they're below 20 percent of their total caloric intake um or well below 20% of what their caloric t- intake should be because we know they're at, they're at actually lower caloric intake right now. Um, I might jump their fats up first because carbs are an unnecessary nutrient. Um, in the case of a show where it's extreme, we'll jump both up first. We might add 5 to 10 grams of fat and, you know, 15 to 30 grams of carbs day one, like right away, bump them up, get them feeling a little bit better, let them gain a few pounds because they need to. And then we take that gradual conservative process to get them higher and try to metabolically adapt in the reverse, um, in a positive way, bringing their calories up, maintaining their weight. So metabolic adaptation is, is a, is a long topic, but it kind of depends. And, and the biggest thing it comes from is chronic dieting. You know, I see a lot of people who, and I explain this in the video, you guys should definitely go watch that on my YouTube, um, It's just called metabolic adaptation, I believe. But basically I I described the person who will – drop calories down to cut, they will lose 30 pounds, but they'll keep their calories low and try to maintain that. So what happens is they might be at 2000 calories. They drop to 1500. They lose the weight they wanted to, but they never reverse dieted. This is the worst case of metabolic adaptation because now we're in this point where we've lowered our caloric intake. We have dropped the weight, but we never reverse dieted out of that. So we're still not at a healthy caloric intake. We're at a healthy weight now, but we might be at too low of calories to maintain optimal hormonal and nervous system function so let's say they come to me six months later and they're like hey you know i lost 30 pounds like i wanted to um i still feel like i have a few pounds to lose and i i, I took a break from really pushing and now i'm ready to get after again but I, my weight just won't budge and i'm like okay cool where were your calories where you started uh 2500 okay cool where are they at now F- 1500 okay how long have you been there six months okay so you've been at a extreme deficit." while not losing any weight for six months. Yes. Hmm. You are metabolically adapted. Plain and simple. That's a great example because this person has lowered their caloric intake and they've maintained. So this is the hard part. They maintain their weight and their caloric intake. It's different to maintain your weight, but bring up your caloric intake. That's positive. But to maintain your weight and maintain a low caloric intake, Intake means that you're pushing metabolic adaptation further and further along, meaning I'm constantly staying in that. I'm ingraining that. It's just like fat. The longer fat stays on your body, the harder it is to remove those cells, right? The more you yo-yo up and down, add fat, lose fat, add fat, lose fat, the more those stubborn fat cells actually form. They, they duplicate and they become a different type of cell, which actually is harder to burn off because they, that's the quote-unquote stubborn fat cell. Like there's actually science behind this. And it makes it very difficult to lose fat. This is why I'm such a big proponent of sustainability and longevity inside of fat loss because you don't want to get stuck in this position where no matter what you do, it just doesn't work. So um, there's a lot going on here. Overall, I would say that um, metabolic adaptation is simply the process of your, your metabolism adapting to a lower caloric set point, um, which you don't want to have happen. And that happens from chronic dieting. Sarah J. Wilhelmi from Facebook, if someone has n- no food allergies or any adverse reactions to food but maintains high levels of inflammation due to high stress work environment, what foods do you recommend for achieving fat loss results, addressing high cortisol levels and sporadic eating behaviors? Hmm. So, if someone has no food allergies or reactions to food but maintains high levels of inflammation due to high stress work environment, what foods would you recommend for achieving fat loss? addressing high cortisol levels and sporadic eating behaviors. So there's a few things to address in here, and I think achieving fat loss, addressing high cortisol levels, and sporadic eating behaviors, although they all uh, conflict each other, meaning if you have sporadic eating behaviors, you're not gonna lose fat. Um, If you have uh, more fat in your body, you're gonna have higher cortisol, so on and so forth, but they're all its own entity. So I'm gonna kind of address each one because I think each one has different things. Now, if you have high levels of inflammation, that's also gonna affect all these things, but we gotta remember, inflammation is individual. Some inflammation is good. Um, Acute inflammation is different than chronic inflammation. So if you have chronic inflammation, that's the bad inflammation. That's the inflammation we want to get rid of. The best things to think of, and I'm just going to be completely honest with you, just Google anti-inflammatory foods. You're going to see a bunch of stuff pop up. But what you'll notice, and I think it's, it's funny when people try to market uh, like I promote anti-inflammation foods, like I recommend them, but I mean, if we really look at it, it's non-processed foods, it's whole foods. There's a there's so many vegetables that can help inflammation. There's so many fruits that can help inflammation. If you have a higher uh, lean protein diet, like an organic whole food based protein diet, you're gonna lower inflammation. If you get great quality fats from whole foods. You're going to have anti-inflammation properties. Carbohydrates are a little bit different. Carbohydrates aren't going to be very anti-inflammatory in the most case, um, but there are going to be nutrients inside of certain ones that are anti-inflammatory. So the thing that you want to watch out for is, number one, processed sugar, processed food. So if it comes in a box, if it has processed sugar in it, you should probably cut it out, and you should probably monitor how much you consume of it because that's going to create more inflammation in your body in multiple areas, not just your gut but your joints, your brain, everything. Um, Alcohol is going to be a big inflammatory food. So if you're, if you're drinking more than once a week, I would probably cut it back to once a week, or maybe even take a few weeks off and see how you feel without any drinks. Um, and then what you can look at is even if you don't have specific food allergies, meaning I don't have a gluten intolerance, I don't have a gluten sensitivity or allergy. I can eat gluten and my digestion's fine. I'm not, nothing crazy happens, but Gluten still causes some inflammation in my body. It's just a fact. It does with most people from, from what most studies show and what most people – I shouldn't say what most, most studies show. Um, I think that's wrong. I think all studies can be debunked either way, but there's a lot of studies that allude to or have been interpreted by other scientists that show that or, – or that lead us to believe, I should say, that – I don't want to give any absolutes because absolutes are never the case um, – that gluten might not be good for most people. Right Some people don't really notice much, and other people do notice the inflammation, but there's always some kind of inflammation. It could be in your gut, it could be in your joints, it could be in your brain. I personally notice that I feel I don't it's hard for me to notice that I feel like shit if I eat gluten. like I don't notice like how oh, my joints hurt or anything. But if I take gluten out for a week, I notice my workouts get better. I notice my predict- productivitys better. It's subtle, but by the end of the week, I'm like, oh shit. This was a really good week. I wonder if that's connected. It's kind of one of those things. So maybe you do want to look at, you know what, I'm going to avoid soy and gluten and maybe dairy for a little bit and just see how much better I feel um, just to help that. Sporadic eating behaviors. That's going to be directly linked to stress. So if you have a high-stress work environment and you can't remove yourself from that situation, you need to practice other stress management modalities to make sure that every other area of your life is low stress so that you can cope and have a higher stress capacity. I think that's the problem with where most people kind of screw up is they think, like, I can't remove this stress, so I'm screwed. No, you're not screwed, and you don't need to necessarily remove the stress. You need to build your stress capacity. See, my capacity to handle stress is a lot higher than most. I can do more work and not get burnt out. I can train harder and not get burnt out. I've built up my capacity. It wasn't always like that, but I've slowly – it's like a progressive overload. Progressive overload, your stress levels. And I know that sounds crazy because we all want to balance stress, manage stress. Well, the the reality is, is that's your job, right? You can't quit your job because you're stressed out, and that's how most people listening to this are. You have a family, you have a business, you have a job, you have goals for your body. You are going to create stress. So instead of trying to remove your stress and balance and woo-saw and meditate all the time, we need to look at just having a higher stress capacity. And you know what? Meditation is going to help that quite a bit. So I don't want to say like, oh, that's woo-woo because I meditate too. But journaling, positive focus, meditation right, nutrition, removing those anti-inflammatory foods, like not being in a a super big caloric deficit or surplus, not drinking alcohol, getting plenty of sleep, all these things that help you manage stress in other areas of your life better are going to help you not feel like you're so stressed. So you don't necessarily need to remove the stress. You need to manage stress better or build your capacity. And the the best way to do that is work on mindful practices, do something for yourself every week, get enough sleep, create a good nutrition plan, and have a smart training program. I see so many people that go, They don't train enough or they train way too fucking hard all the time. There needs to be a balance of volume, intensity, and frequency that actually makes sense for your body. And you need to wave load the central nervous system stimulants throughout the week. That's why in my programming inside the Boom Boom Elite, shameless plug, most of the time we see this elevation of sympathetic nervous system dominance and then a big drop and then we elevate the parasympathetic response to training. So we're kind of wave loading up and down how hard we go. And that's how I recommend people split up their week. Now, if you jumble the split, obviously that can be dictated and changed. But for the most part, I'm recommending people, hey, do this on these days, this on this day, this on this day, this on this day. And the reason for that is because I want to wave load the nervous system stimulants um, in in dominance between parasympathetic and sympathetic. And when we do this, we're going to manage stress a lot better and we're going to build our capacity to handle stress. Now, when I go back to work, it's easier to manage. Food plays a big role in that too. Um, so... That's going to be the biggest thing, to be honest with you. Um, You can take supplements as well. I mean, like to manage cortisol, for example, um, which will also help with Inflammation, you can kind of hit both in one, Uh, supplementing with DIM or ashwagandha, um, turmeric, fish oil, things like that that are going to fight inflammation, they're going to fight cortisol levels being out of whack, they're going to help your hormones uh, balance a little bit easier. Those things are really smart. They're all supplements, but they're all natural herbs um, or derived from food that is going to help you manage inflammation in the body and manage your stress levels uh, via hormonal balance. Um, That's going to be huge. You're going to notice better moods, better energy, so on and so forth. And then as far as what foods would I recommend to achieve fat for that last one, I think this and sporadic eating behaviors are combined. Sporadic eating behaviors are going to come from messed up sleep, high stress levels. So if you're doing everything else I'm talking about, then I think you're going to fix the sporadic eating behaviors. And I'm assuming that means like the occasional binge. Um, And then with the recommended fat loss foods, there are no special foods. Like there are no superfoods, And we have a blog coming out. Actually, I just – published an hour ago um uh today so if, when you guys listened to this yesterday and i'll link it in the description um called superfoods Fact or fiction great great article by caroline and basically what it talks about is is there is no foods that are special right there are certain foods that are super high in nutrients and i guess you could call them superfoods but if we relate that to fat loss there's no real answer to these foods are going to help you lose more fat you can't put cayenne pepper on your eggs every day and expect to burn more fat is cayenne pepper good for you? May it have a slight metabolic benefit? Absolutely. Shit. I put cayenne pepper on my eggs every single morning, but it's mainly because I think it tastes good and I like spicy foods. But still, are there benefits to it? Yes. Are there benefits to turmeric? Yes. May it help you burn fat? Eh. Indirectly, possibly. You're going to be healthier, therefore you have a better potential for burning fat. But there's no special food, right? Uh, what matters is macronutrients and calories. So for you, you need to focus on where are your macros at and are you practicing a flexible diet? And these are the type of people, to be honest with you, I would extrude highly recommend getting a coach because what I would do with you is, yes, I would recommend certain foods, but I'd mainly take you through a process of like, okay, let's find a macronutrient ratio that not only provides a phallus benefit, but is going to help you get the foods in that you like and you enjoy so you have a flexible approach so you don't feel the need to binge or have sporadic eating behaviors or get stressed out because you're overly restricting yourself while still fitting in the foods that are going to fight that inflammation and hormonal balance um, inside of your macronutrients. So there's a kind of a whole spiel and spectrum on that the best thing to do is just get a coach man. like I mean obviously you can go to my website and get the nutrition hierarchy completely free now um, I'm pretty sure you guys know that but if you don't go to boomboomperformance.com slash sign up I'll put a link in the description to that as well um, and you can basically get the nutrition hierarchy for free and I break down a lot of this stuff so I think that would be really smart for you to do as well um, but overall there's no special foods that are gonna that are gonna do that. All right, um, let's see. The next one is uh, from Parkside Nutrition. What have been some of your most challenging clients and why? What have been some of your most challenging clients? Why and how did you problem solve these cases? Hmm. That's a tough one. I've worked with a lot of people. Some of my most challenging clients. Um. You know, like I don't think uh, – I think everybody has their different challenges, and I think every person that I've worked with that has been challenging, um, I don't think it's ever been like – it. it's never been a frustration for me. You know, I've had – I don't know how many clients say, oh my god, I'm probably your worst client, or oh my god, I'm sorry for being that client. And I'm always like, you're not that client. Chill. Trust me. Because um, we got to remember like I do this to help people. My job is to help people. My job is to – Take people from a place where they don't know how to improve. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to create better results, so on and so forth. And it's my job to show them how to do it. So I think it's funny when people get frustrated with clients or that they're not getting this shit. But it's like that's why they're coming to you because they don't know what to do at this point. They're stuck. It's your job to help them get unstuck. Um, So for me – I never really get frustrated because in the back of my mind, I always know, like, this is what I'm here to do is I'm here to help these people get to the point where they feel good about themselves. They have confidence. They change their body. And the reason they're coming to me is because they don't know how to do it themselves. So why would I get frustrated that they're unable to do so? That being said, obviously, there's always challenging cases, but I just think that's funny. Like, people are like, oh, I work with highly committed individuals that are ready to make a change and... Uh, are hundred percent on point and ready to commit blah, blah, blah. And I get that. And I'm like, you know what? Like I agree. I love those clients. I work with those clients too. I have a lot of people that are super committed and super on point and super consistent. And I love working with those people. Uh, But at the same time, I will never say I only work with these people. Fuck that. I work with everybody because there's a lot more people that need help. And there's a lot of people listening to this too that struggle with nutrition, that are not consistent, they're not committed, they don't have self-discipline, and they can't figure out how to get their out of their own damn head to move forward. I want to help those people. Those people are struggling. That's not a challenge for me. I mean it, it may be a challenge, but it's never a frustration. Um, so I guess, I guess the biggest thing for me, the most challenging clients are the ones that – I almost said the ones that self-sabotage, but to be honest with you, I think we all self-sabotage ourselves. I even self-sabotage myself, and I find that the people who self-sabotage themselves, um, a lot of times they're aware of it and they know it, so they're open to change. So I help them by providing them books or audiobooks, or I get on the phone with them and I talk to them, and there's a lot of people that I help troubleshoot through those issues because a lot of times what I do is mindset, right? Like it's nutrition, it's training, but inside of that, it's mindset. It's a mental game. How can you shift out of your own self-limiting beliefs to move forward? Like that's the biggest thing here. But I would say the most challenging clients, now that I keep kind of going through all these scenarios, um, are the clients who are unwilling to change. You know, I think that when we look at training and nutrition, it is not easy. It's difficult. It takes some sacrifice. You know what? I just did a photo shoot and – I got lean, and I didn't get, like, shredded lean like I wanted to, but I got really lean, and I did the best that I possibly could knowing that I have a newborn, knowing that I have a family, I have a business to run, a team to lead, I have events coming up. Um, I did the best that I could, and I got I got really lean. I was really happy with the result that I saw, but I think the like, what I'm trying to say is I was willing to sacrifice. I was willing to change. You know, like, I looked at my lifestyle, and I was like, okay – um, I can stay above average lean, but I can't stay shredded year round. So if I want to get lean, lean, and I've been reverse dieting and I've actually maintained my weight. So I'm really happy right now. But if I want to get to that point, there's going to be three months where I'm going to have to be meticulous with weighing my food right now. I can estimate very well. So right now I don't measure, I track my macros every day cause I'm reverse dieting. I don't measure green vegetables. I don't even count them in my macros right now. It's not what I recommend to all my clients, but for me right now, I just don't care. Um, I'm not. I'm happy where I'm at and I'm not super pressed on my goal. So I'm being a little bit more flex with things. um, And I'm allowing the more non-insulogenic vegetables to not be counted for. So just a few different greens that I eat on a regular basis. But it's just – it lowers stress because I don't have to track them. Um, I am not measuring any meat. I'm guesstimating all meat because I'm pretty good at that. Um, And I'm doing kind of like estimates, right? Like so if I do – Like, for example, one cup of rice, I think, is like 175 grams on scale. If I weigh it and it's 168 when I throw a big glob on there or it's 184, I don't give a shit. If it's 200, I probably will be like, eh, maybe I'll pull a little bit off, but probably not because I like rice. (laughs) But I'm being very flexible with things. Um, But during that three month period of time when I was getting ready for a shoot, I set a goal and I knew that this was my goal. I have to sacrifice things. So I was meticulous with it. My rice weighed this exact much. I weighed my meat. I measured my veggies. I did everything. Um, and, And I've literally dialed in every aspect that I possibly could. I committed to waking up early and doing cardio. I committed to a specific training plan. I committed to everything I needed to do, and that meant I had to sacrifice some things. I couldn't drink alcohol as much. I couldn't eat Halo Top and shit on a random Wednesday and fit it in my macros as easily because I was really dialed in with nutrient timing and stuff like that. So I think for me, the most challenging clients are the clients that are not willing to change. They want a result, but they're not willing to change. And that example I just gave is an extreme example. And what I mean by that is, I was already kind of lean and I wanted to get really lean, which means that I have to go to the extreme. So I have a lot of clients that, you know what, like for them to get really lean, it's like okay, we got to track macros, you know, we got to start recording food on a on an app because we got to see where you're at and we got to make the right adjustments to move you forward. And they're not even willing to do that. That's a frustrating thing for me because it's like If we're going to make a change, we have to be willing to do the actions necessary to create that change. I know you want this, but you have to tap into that motivation. You have to tap into that discipline. You have to tap into sacrificing some things so you can accomplish what you want. So it's not really a frustration. It's a challenge, and I keep pushing on it, and I never give up because I'm just like, let's go, let's go, let's go. I know it's in you, and a lot of times it takes a lot of poking, a lot of pressing, and a lot of accountability to finally get someone to shift. I've had clients for six months that didn't make any progress because they just would not change. This doesn't happen very often because most people hire me, and we we can make changes, and we do it in a very easy way. And and people who work with me know that I'm – Usually not somebody that just slaps down a bunch of instructions and say, do this. Like, I'm usually like, what do you feel about this? How do you think you would adhere to this? Like, we go back and forth. I communicate with my clients because I want them to understand that this is a process. You have to be okay with and believe in the adjustment that I'm making in order for you to actually stick with it. Therefore, I'm going to communicate with you before we make any adjustment. But I've had clients where I take a very easy route even like, hey, I just – the first step, we're just going to drink more water. Second step, we're going to take fish oil. Like very basic shit and they just won't change. They can't get out of their lifestyle. It is what it is. They want it. That's why they're hiring me. That's why they pay me and that's why they invest in me and they invest in themselves. And months will go by and they won't make a single change. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everything shifts. They finally get it. They master the habit. They master the next one. They stack them, and they're doing this habit stacks until they master tons of habits that are going to change their body, and they start seeing progress, and they're like, man, it took me six months, but now I'm I'm a whole new person. And I'm like, who cares? It doesn't matter how long it takes you as long as it takes you (laughs) – as long as you make the change. So that was a long-winded answer for a simple question, but I think the most challenging clients, uh, most challenging people in general that I talk to I think would just be like – If you want to see a change, you need to be willing to make that change. And that's the biggest challenge I see. Deskis Strength from Instagram. How do you know the difference between muscle slash mental fatigue and adrenal fatigue for a strength athlete or athlete in general? So, I mean, it really comes down to biofeedback, right? Like I think like muscle and mental fatigue are going to be – Two different things as well. I think that if, if you're muscular fatigue, you're going to have DOMS, right? You're going to have muscle damage. You're going to feel soreness. It's pretty obvious. Like, how, hey, how do you feel mentally? Man, I'm motivated. I'm fired up. But fuck, dude, I can't even sit down. My glutes hurt so bad. That's muscle fatigue. It's very, very easy to, to, to point that out because your muscles are just taxed. Um, mental fatigue, your mood changes. You're just kind of down. You don't really feel like going to the gym. You're snappy. You're irritated quite often. Um, emotional, things like that. Your motivation is low. This is why I have clients rate uh, motivation on a daily basis. On a scale of 1 to 5, where's your motivation? If, if it's dipping below 3 on a regular basis, then we know you probably need to deload. You might be uh, fatigued from a mental, which really is a nervous system, uh, perspective, um, and that's going to be a big sign. The other things for adrenals specifically with a strength athlete, but really with anybody in general, um, is going to be hormonal. So again, mood swings, um, but tiredness. Like if you're kind of tired and wired, your cortisol levels are all out of whack. You're falling asleep. You're you can't like you're. I mean. I think it depends. Sometimes it's tired and wired, where like you're tired and you go to bed, you can't fall asleep. But then other times it's like you, it hits like 6 p.m. and you're done, you're toast, you're just tired, you wanna to go to bed and you fall asleep. Um, that could possibly be a form of nervous system and adrenal fatigue as well. Uh, but typically you have other hormonal issues going on when your adrenals are smashed. Um, a good sign of this too is if you drink caffeine. And it's not doing shit. Like if you're like – I drank four cups coffee and I don't feel buzz, I don't feel energetic. I don't feel clear at all. You might have a, a adrenal issue. Um, yeah, if you're putting on unnecessary fat or weight, you might have an adrenal or cortisol issue. They're both kind of tied in and related to each other. Uh, but the biggest things are going to be like the tired and wired or, or sleepiness. You're just going to be mentally kind of unclear, lethargic, unproductive. Uh, you're going to be tired constantly. Unmotivated is going to be a huge one, and you're going to be caffeine intolerant. It's probably going to be the best bets to tell if you're adrenally or mentally fatigued. And the mental fatigue can come from just uh – It doesn't even necessarily mean you're mentally – I know people – like I've had clients that they're like, you know what? Like I'm not sore. I can train hard, but it's hard for me to get in the zone. I'm just not fired up about this right now. And I'm like, okay, we need to A, reevaluate your goals. Maybe we need to get away from tracking macros and just be intuitive for a little bit. Just give your body a break, your mind a break, so on and so forth. Kind of lower your stress levels and lower your quote-unquote to-dos, like all the things we're doing to accommodate this and make this better. Um, So it just kind of depends. Grant Kale best uses for Halloween candy leftover Halloween candy (laughs) throw that shit away (laughs) it doesn't do us any good um I think it depends like if you want me to give like a flexible dieting answer I could say like you know save some of the candy for pre-workout fuel you know like it does work like I've had uh you know, Starbursts or Skittles or Sour Patch Kids right before a workout and it gives you a little sugar, gives you a little rush. I don't recommend a lot of it just because sugar is so so inflam- inflammatory. The more I learn about real nutrition outside of macros, the more I study the gut and the joints and, and the body and really what processed sugar actually does to us. Um, over the years, I've just realized that it's just, it's just not worth it. And I think that's the best way to avoid like binges or avoid eating a bunch of it is like, if you learn about what it really does to your body, and, and it there's actually studies that show it shortens your lifespan because like you can you can measure the tel- telomere length of people's uh, on people and and see that it shortens your lifespan based on I think it's the length of your telomeres or how many telomeres you have. You've have, you got to check out Dr. Rhonda Patrick for that one. She she goes in depth on that on Joe Rogan's podcast, but it's just not good for you, man. It just creates so much inflammation in your body. It's not something I would want to put in my body, and because of that, like it's easy for me to stay away from. I mean, shit, like like I said last night. I ate a little tiny, like size of a Hershey's kiss, but a little tiny Reese's, and then I had a, uh, a little fun size Snickers. I opened up a Milk Dud thing. I ate one little tiny, tiny Milk Dud. I was like, no, nah, I'm done with this, and I was cool. Like And today we have a, still a whole bowl full of candy left, and honestly, I'm not going to touch it. It's just not – it doesn't make me feel good. It creates inflammation, and I would say throw it away because most of the time people feel bad. Like, oh, you know, there's people starving around the world. You're going to throw away shit. Yeah, I'm going to throw that shit away. It's, it doesn't serve us any good. I mean, I guess that's calories, so it would help people who are starving. Yeah, but I'm just not a fan of candy, man. It's just not it's not it doesn't do anything good for us. We'll squat for pizza. But again, grant, just to be clear, like flexible dieting approach. If you want to have a piece of candy once a day and it's like a little fun size thing and you fit in your macros, it's not gonna affect your your body composition too much, so go for it. We'll squat for pizza. Intuitive eating: How to start, how slash when to transition, habits to create, and how to create them. Um, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna refer to Courtney did a video on this. Uh, you should go check that. I'll put put a link in the description. Um, But basically talking about how to intuitively eat. And I think to be honest with you, I look at this kind of like a mountain and I talk about this with new clients. Like we start at the bottom of the mountain. Your goal is at the top of the mountain. Well, on our way to that goal, we're going to have to implement calories and then protein and then full-on macro spectrum or full macros from the beginning depending on how you can handle the uh, adherence behind that task itself. But in general, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to start tracking macros. We're going to implement training. We're going to get pretty specific and we're going to kind of travel up this mountain tracking macros, adjusting along the way. And once we get to the top of the mountain, we are kind of at the end point of we've created the result we're trying to get. We have established our macronutrient profile. So what do we need for our body, our hormones, our nervous system, our body size, type, goal, everything? What do we need to create that result that we want? We've done that. Perfect. Now we can start heading back down the mountain. And how we do that is we actually slowly reverse that process. So now we're just tracking Calories and protein. Then we're just tracking calories, and then we're tracking calories once a week just to make sure we're on point, and then once a month just on point, and then after a while you're not tracking at all. So I actually think that the way to become more intuitive with your eating is actually to track macros because that's how you create self awareness. Um, I don't believe that anybody is fully self aware until they track what they're eating because how do you know how much four, five, six ounces of meat is? How do you know what two eggs feels like versus four eggs in your body? How do you know how much? Oil You're cooking and if you're just spooning it out with a, a knife like people overuse coconut and olive oil so much because they do just a spoon or a spatula or a knife full into the pan when in reality if you measured out a teaspoon of oil you would have more than enough to cook within your pan because I do that a teaspoon not a tablespoon a teaspoon and you're getting five grams of fat from most oils which means that you're probably consuming 15 grams of fat extra and everything you cook if you're just dumping some full oil in there so I think the the process of being more intuitive with your eating is actually going through the process of tracking and recording on paper or in an app just because I think that really is the best way to make sure that you know what you're consuming. And if you know what you're consuming, you can be more intuitive with it. I think that's very, very important. Um, I also think that part of it is recording how you feel. So even if you're not tracking macros, how's your sleep? How's your energy? How's your performance? How's your fatigue? How's your mental clarity? How's your motivation? When you start tracking those things and you associate them with what and how much of you ate throughout that day, you can actually start to learn really what's going on in your body and how your body reacts to foods. She had another question. For clients whose goals are to gain weight and put on lean muscle, where do you start? How do you ensure you are not increasing calories too high and putting on unnecessary weight, but also just reversing because increasing too slowly? So, I think the process of gaining weight properly is uh once again i mean i already talked about the nutrition hierarchy in this uh i would go check it out but i think a big thing is training i see a lot of people that are trying to gain weight um and their training is just bad so for me it's like they're like hey like you know i'm trying to gain weight i'm training hard and i'm just i keep adding calories and i'm not gaining any muscle i'm not gaining weight and i'm like okay well let's hold off like how high are your calories and they're you know anywhere between realistically i mean it's it's such a wide range but anywhere between 16 to 20 times your body weight in calories obviously there's people that can build muscle a little bit less build muscle have to build can only build muscle a little bit more it happens um but in general like that's high enough like i tell people like if your calories are already that high adding more calories isn't gonna benefit you more let's get into the weeds like because at the end of the day like you're already at a calorie surplus you're eating more than you're burning and therefore you should be gaining weight. So what I tell them is number one, let's look at your training. Are you periodizing your training? Are you have you been doing the same shit month after month after month? Let's change it up. Are you adding in intensity techniques? Are you adding in different drop sets and modalities that are gonna create different types of stimuluses? Are you incorporating metabolic and metabolite accumulation, lactic acid buildup? Or are you just doing strength sets? Are you doing any strength sets? Like there's so many different ways you can tweak training. And then periodizing that week to week, month to month to make sure that you're actually making progress. That's the biggest key. Like I see a lot of people, your nutrition is fine. You're eating enough calories. You're eating enough protein. You're getting the bigger bulk of your calories from carbs versus fat. Great. You're on point. Your training needs help. And then the next part is like let's optimize your nutrition a little bit more. Um, Instead of eating three meals a day that are massive and you are – making digestion harder, which in in turn makes assimilation and absorption of those nutrients harder, maybe we should spread those meals out. This is where I actually do recommend five or six meals a day because now we're going to spread those meals out. It's going to be easier for your body to digest and break down those nutrients. Therefore, they're going to be more likely to be utilized as muscle-building fuel, calories. Uh, So sometimes I like separating nutrients and improving digestion. Then I'll go through an elimination process. Let's look at what foods you're eating. Are you eating foods that are easy to eat in high amounts and that are actually going to be used as muscle glycogen? Like I've seen people that are just eating whatever flexible dieting approach and it does work, yes, but then taking them – and Stan Everding's a great – I'm trying to get him on the podcast. Stan Everding's a great example of this, like taking people and going, okay, we're not going to add a ton of calories yet. We're going to shift your diet. Like bulk of your uh, starch is going to be white rice. We are going to have some sweet potatoes in there. I want you eating more steak so you get high nutrient protein sources, salmon, things like that, good fat sources. Like we, we change the food that you're eating so they're more nutrient-dense but then also very easy to digest digest. And now all of a sudden, your body can turn that into fuel and muscle a lot easier. And then we can add calories. So sometimes it's about that. Um, Sometimes it's taking the extra calories you would add. So let's say we're going to make a 10% caloric jump. Instead of adding 50 grams of carbs to your diet or 25 grams, or whatever 10% may be for where you're at, maybe what we're going to do is we're going to add that into an intra-workout shake. There's a lot of studies that prove drinking highly branched cyclic dextrin with some essential amino acids. Um, I like to mix creatine in there as well. During a workout, a good hard workout is going to literally directly increase muscle cross-sectional Tissue, meaning you're literally building more muscle than compared to a group that didn't build as much muscle uh, or that didn't have that. So you build more muscle because you are doing the intra-workout shake. So that's a one reason to be like, "Fuck, I'm, I'm going to just add an intra-workout shake in general." Um, and then another thing would be the fact that that's going to blunt cortisol response. It's going to lower your cortisol levels and it's going to actually help you recover better after that training, which again is going to help you build more muscle. So a lot of times it's, it's dialing in their training way more. It's changing the nutrients that they're getting, switching around their meal frequency, and then last but not least supplementing with an intra-workout shake. I think I, I find that helps a lot of people build more muscle and gain weight without adding calories at all. Um, And sometimes with the the volume or the training, we got to remember like volume matters. So if you're training and you don't know how much volume you're putting in, you need to hire a coach or you need to join a program system that actually equates for how much intensity are you putting forward every week, how much volume is actually in the program every week, and how much frequency is in there to stimulate the gains you want. And do those things, are those things in the right place in order for you to actually stimulate True results, and if you're, and are you measuring the results? Like, how are you measuring progress? Because even if you gain a quarter of a pound in a month, as an advanced lifter, that's size, that's solid, so it's good. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this one, but M J Gielo almost sounds like I M J Lo from Instagram. A M J A G I E L O. Tips for cutting and feeling hungry and tips for intermittent fasting when it's difficult for you. So if intermittent fasting is difficult for you, don't do it. Plain and simple. If it's that difficult for you, it's probably not the best thing to adhere to. So what I would say is like, other than intermittent fasting on a regular basis, if you're really interested in the health benefits of intermittent fasting, I wouldn't do it on such a regular basis. I would do it once or twice a month and I would do it for a full 24 hours. You're going to get way more benefits than that. The biggest thing to remember is that once you pass that like, 16 hour mark the fasting gets easier and your your hunger actually goes away. Um so I would just drink lots of water. You don't want to consume too many things cuz a lot of things even though they are not insulogenic it will trickle your body to creating insulin or cortisol and that take creates insulin and and has an effect of taking you out of it, it has an adrenaline based sympathetic response takes you out of that fasting mode. But in general, lots of water, maybe some black coffee. Keep yourself occupied. You know, like for me, an intermittent fasting day, if I was going to go 24 hours, I would plan it on a day where I could sleep in and then I had plans for the day. Like I'm going to Seattle with my girls and and we're walking around and shopping and I'm busy. I can sip on some coffee and I'm busy. That would be a great day for me to intermittent fast. A day where I'm at home all day working is probably not the best day for me to intermittent fast because I need food to keep me focused. Um, A lot of people say intermittent fasting keeps them alert. For me... It, it doesn't get that way until I pass that 16-hour mark. And most of my work is done in the morning, so it's kind of a, counterintuitive. Um, I feel good on some breakfast. Like I do get a lot of work done before I eat, but I like having a high-fat breakfast. That helps me keep going. Um, and tips for cutting and feeling hungry. I mean part of that is we got to remember that like part of dieting is, is being hungry. You know, like I think that when we diet, we have to remember that we are going to be hungry at times. We are in a caloric deficit, so our hunger response is telling us to eat. We have to ignore that and keep pushing through. So part of my, my tip is just stay strong, create discipline, remember that this is just part of it. Um, and then my other part uh, tip is going to be, you know what, like drink lots of water again, have some coffee in the morning. It's going to blunt your, your hunger response. And then focus on foods that are more voluminous. So for me, when I'm cutting, it's like, oh, let me have like a huge salad for dinner where I just have literally like a whole – bag or like couple heads of lettuce like i literally cut up so much lettuce put a ton of uh chicken on it maybe like one or two slices of bacon few black olives cut in half um some like low fat low calorie yogurt based dressing um and then like maybe cherry tomatoes so I'll like i look at the salad and i'm like it's, it's fucking huge but the calories aren't very high cuz i only had one or two slices of bacon i didn't use many olives and i cut them in half so i can spread them apart tomatoes are low Lettuce is low, the dressing is low, so it's only like, you know, five hundred calories or less, and it's a massive dinner that fills me up. That's the best way. Look at voluminous foods. If you're eating your carbs from foods that are not very like bulky, like they're they're not high volume for the amount of calories there are, maybe you switch to sweet potatoes and rice because white rice, you can eat a lot of it and you hit your carbs, but you're also full of shit. Like you can eat a whole bowl of rice compared to eating some bread and stuff. So Little things like that matter a lot. Choosing high-fiber vegetables, um, choosing high-fiber fruits like berries. Don't choose uh, like high-sugar, low-fiber fruits. Choose uh, high-fiber, low-sugar fruits like berries so you can eat a lot of them. Um, Choose high-fiber greens that are going to fill you up um, and and choose to eat more greens because greens are going to be low-calorie and very non-insulogenic so you can actually eat quite a bit of them for a low-calorie set point. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And then with intermittent fasting, like if it's super difficult for you, I don't think you should do it because it, it, dieting is about adherence first and foremost. Digital barbell. This is going to be the last question of the day. Favorite Seinfeld episode? This one's tough. Um, I, I really don't know. To be honest, with you. I've been thinking about this. And if anybody is listening, follows me on Instagram, which most of you, I'm sure, do you know that I'm a big Seinfeld fan. It's something, it's just like mindless TV that we watch. Um, I love it. It was funny, we were watching, because we, we'd just been rewatching everything, so obviously I've seen pretty much all of them when I was growing up, actually. My, my dad used to watch it all the time. But we were watching the 100th episode, and there was like a, they just did a montage, but in between the montage, they had this clip, and it was basically, um, actually, it might have been a part of the montage, and this was a funny episode where they did... Um, George had an idea for a TV show about nothing, and it was basically just making fun of Seinfeld being about nothing. So it was funny because it was like, I have this idea for a show, and it's about nothing. They don't do anything. Nothing at all. And everybody thought he was stupid for it, and it was, it was just hilarious because it's like, well, that's I'm literally watching the show, and it's about fucking nothing. <laughs> but my favorite episode from Seinfeld, is that's really tough. I, I go back and forth. I love the man hands one where he dates the girl, and she's like cracking the cat, crab, and she has these man hands. Um, I love the one... Um I just watched it the other night, the hot tub one where Kramer gets a hot tub in his uh his house, which is hilarious and the heater breaks. That was a funny one. Um I love the episode where Jerry gets a jacket from that really, I can't remember his name, that really annoying guy who all he wants in return for the jacket is for Jerry to take him to dinner, and then he takes him to dinner and he gets a soup, but a soup doesn't count as a dinner because it's just a soup. It's more of an appetizer, so Jerry has to take him to lunch, and then he gets a soup and a half sandwich, but it wasn't even a sandwich. It was like a piece of toast with spread on it, so it didn't count as a full meal. And this dude's like trying to milk dinner with him. Hilarious, Uh, getting a free meal from him. That was a funny one. Um, I just love Seinfeld because it's it's literally about, like, the funniest day-to-day situations, and it's always connected. Like, George always does something to somebody else that somehow at the end of the story affects everybody else and fucks up their day or their, loses their job, so on and so forth. Like, it's hilarious. It's always connected, always random weird shit. But if I had to choose one episode, I don't think I could. I, honestly, it's like there's so many funny episodes. I don't think I can choose one episode. But one, the first one that comes to mind is the Manhand episode. I think that one's hilarious. Um, so I'm gonna have to go with my favorite Seinfeld episode is when Jerry dates the girl with the man hands. All right guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just wanna encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the nutrition hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called The All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients. Literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book. Not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process last thing i want to mention guys is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the itunes charts oh yeah and real quick if you're not subscribed hit the damn subscribe button because i constantly bust out content for you guys and i spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast all right guys i'll catch you next time